Welcome to This Week in Linux, your favorite Linux good news show. On this episode, we have distro news from Linux Mint, Solus, BlendOS, and Slackware. Plus, Red Hat's drama continues to build or rebuild <laughs> with their competitors making public statements. And so this week, I'll give my reaction to their reactions of Red Hat's actions. Plus, there is a new long-awaited version being released for the Thunderbird email client. All this and so much more. If this is your first twill, This Week in Linux is the Linux news show that keeps you up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world. So let's just jump right into it. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. This week, Slackware is turning 30 years old, and I wanted to take a moment to celebrate this massive milestone. Slackware was founded by Patrick Volkerding in 1993. Slackware is the oldest Linux distro that is still under development, and I messed around with Slackware when I first got started in Linux, and it was a bit rough. It was a bit of a task to use back in the day, and kind of still is. But for those looking for a great way to learn the Linux distro, distro system and like get their hands dirty and that sort of thing, Slackware is a great way to do that and it can help you learn quite a lot. But if you're a beginner, I would highly recommend something else until you get used to like the fundamentals. But anyway, happy birthday Slackware and I can't wait to see what the future holds for this legendary distro. Linux has reached a new milestone for market share as a desktop operating system. Linux usage is now at 3% market share according to statcounter.com. And I know 3% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider how little data we have on Linux usage, it is noteworthy. And also just to be clear, we're not talking about market share in general for Linux, we're talking about desktop market share for Linux. So to quickly step back a bit, Linux is the most dominant operating system on and off the planet. Linux powers 100% of all the top supercomputers. Linux is the dominant force in servers and data centers, and Linux is even powering the International Space Station and the Mars Research Copter. So it's very much a Linux dominant computing world, but on the desktop, it's a different story. So let's talk about the data from statcounter.com. In June, 2022, Windows enjoyed 76% of the share of the desktop market. Linux had 2.4%, Chrome had 1.7%, and Mac had 15%. Now, jump forward a year in June 2023, Windows dropped down to 68%, or a 8-point decline. Linux rose up to a little over 3%. Chrome OS now has 4.1%, and Mac OS with 21%. So what does this mean for Linux? Well, it shows clear growth trend for the Linux platform on the desktop, which of course is fantastic. But also this number from statcounter.com is certainly a lot lower than the real number of Linux users. These numbers are based on aggregate data collected by StatCounter on a reasonable sample size of over 5 billion page views per month collected across the StatCounter network of more than 1.5 million websites. Now, while this data set is good to base on, this is only reflecting websites in the StatCounter network. And with that said, it is much more than 3% based on the fact that we really have no idea what kind of numbers we have in the Linux community. Most distributions do not collect data on users. And that is good to some degree, but I think there is a way to get usage data in an ethical sense. 
And we need a universal way to do that, to collect usage data, even if it is solely to count the numbers of users that we have, like a machine ID. Something is better than nothing, and right now we essentially have nothing. And I know that is not going to be a popular opinion, but it would be a lot easier to grow the platform if we could show companies just how many millions of people are using Linux on the desktop. Most of the time, companies don't want to build things for Linux because they think the platform is very small. But if we had numbers to show that it is much larger than they think it is, then I think we could get all the software that currently keeps people from switching to Linux. So I think this is great news. The trend is going up for Linux. And I think that if we had some, you know, ethical data collection system to just prove how many people are using Linux, we can make that number grow much, much higher. Speaking of data collection, the Fedora project has been discussing this topic. Here is a summary of what is being discussed. Now, this is a quote from the proposal that we're going to link in the show notes. Fedora is an open source community project and nobody is interested in violating user privacy. We do not want to collect data about individual users. We want to collect only aggregate usage metrics that are actually needed to achieve specific Fedora improvement objectives and no more. We understand that if we violate our users' trust, then we won't have many users left. So if metrics collection is approved, we will be very careful to roll this out in a way that respects our users at all times. For example, we would not collect users' search queries because, and I'm very clear, this is a quote from them, they say it would be creepy, which I totally agree with. <laughs> so going back to the quote, we believe an open source community can ethically collect limited aggregate data on how its software is used without involving big data companies or building creepy tracking profiles that are not in the best interest of users. Users will have the option to disable upload before any data is sent for the first time, and our service will be operated by Fedora on Fedora infrastructure. We will not depend on Google Analytics or any other controversial third-party services. And in contrast to proprietary software operating systems, you can direct the data collection to your own private metrics server instead of Fedora's to see precisely what data is being collected from you because the server components are open source too. Now, this is great. And I'm a big fan of the idea of having an ethical way of doing data collection because like I said, I think it'd be better for the, the overall ecosystem if we could show to people how many users actually are on Linux to convince them to make software for it. But there are also some other additional things that people were confused about, whether it is opt-in versus opt-out. And they didn't really clarify exactly, but there have been some updates on that information. So technically, it's going to be an opt-out with the data collection being started by default. So the system is planned to gather data by default, but not send anything until permission is granted by the user. So it's kind of like a hybrid of opt-in and opt-out. And I think this is a great approach to the debate of opt-in versus opt-out because opt-out is the best option to get the most valuable data. But at the same time, I understand why people aren't big fans of that idea. Now, I am for data collection being added provided it's done so in a responsible and ethical way. And this does seem like they're trying to do that. So with the opt-in, you have the choice to participate or not. With opt-out is that you're automatically participating and you have to choose not to. So some people don't like the fact that you have to choose not to because some people will just ignore it. But that's how you're able to get data for people who don't care enough to even click either way. So opt-out is overall better to collecting the data, but at the same time, I understand why people aren't huge fans of that concept. But the way that Fedora is suggesting that they would do it 
is that you would have opt out, so it'd be collecting that data, but it wouldn't be sent anywhere until you choose whether or not to send it. So I think that is a very good way of doing it. Now, I know this is an unpopular opinion because I just said that. And also some people left Windows due to all the tracking data that it has, but just because Microsoft did it in a terrible way doesn't mean that the only way to do it is terrible. So that's my opinion. If you'd like to learn more about my opinion and also my fellow co-host on Destination Linux, you can check out episode 331 for more in-depth coverage on this topic. And also my buddy Chris at Jupiter Broadcasting had an interesting interview with Fedora's Christian Schaller on episode 519 of Linux Unplugged, so check that out. I'll have links to all of this in the show notes. And also, what do you think about this? Let me know in the forum and in the comments below. I'm very curious about how you land on the the ethical data collection, how you land on the opt-in versus the opt-out, and that sort of thing. Let me know in the comments. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Linstore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Limbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and Linstore. And also with DRBD and Linstore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. For the three people out there in the Linux world that haven't heard yet, Red Hat implemented some changes regarding access to their source code for RHEL. This news has been developing for weeks now, and this week we're gonna be covering some statements from around the enterprise Linux space to, I guess, react to. Now, real quick, I'll have links to all of these statements in the show notes, so if you wanna read them in full, you can find them there. There are four reactions that we are going to check out here. Now we have Alma Linux, Rocky Linux, SUSE, and Oracle. So let's jump in with Alma Linux. Alma Linux announced that they're not going to attempt to be bug for bug compatible anymore or one-to-one -one compatible. Instead, they're going to focus on being ABI compatible, which is application binary interface. If you want an in-depth look at the news from Alma Linux, then check out the next episode of Destination Linux, where you break it down with a lot more detail. But for now, it essentially means that they're going to focus on trying to make sure that applications that are made for RHEL will work in Alma Linux, but not try to be an exact copy of RHEL. This is a great approach because it shows that they want to work with Red Hat to improve the enterprise Linux space because this makes it possible for them to find bugs, create patches in Alma Linux, and submit those packages upstream to Red Hat via CentOS Stream, which is exactly the reason why Red Hat made CentOS Stream in the first place. So in my opinion, Alma Linux is handling this situation in a very respectable way, and their approach will probably benefit the enterprise Linux community 
the most out of all the clones. So next up, let's move on to Rocky Linux. Rocky Linux announced they're planning to get source code for RHEL from cloud services, essentially trying to get the same source code but from an intermediary rather than from Red Hat directly. This plan has been described by some people as a bit of a gray area and might be problematic for users of Rocky Linux in the future. Who knows? I don't have an opinion on that exactly, but I will say that it does seem like a loophole, but you could also say that what Red Hat did in regards to the terms of the GPL is also a loophole. So a loophole for a loophole, I guess. We also saw a surprising reaction from SUSE, where SUSE has gone on the offensive. I think this is the first time SUSE has done that towards Red Hat, or at least it's the first time I've seen them do it. Now, SUSE announced they're going to invest $10 million to creating a Rail clone. This is interesting for a lot of reasons, but it's not the first time they've made a Rail clone. SUSE Liberty Linux has been around at least since 2021, and I covered it here on Twill 182 in January 2022. I will say that I was surprised to see SUSE take such a hard stance here, but I am very curious to see what the outcome of this will be. Now, the next one we're going to talk about is Oracle. This one kind of annoyed me. At first, I thought about, I laughed about it because, and I was reading all the ridiculous claims that they were making because Oracle making these claims is just hilarious. But then I saw some people praising Oracle, like YouTubers and podcasts and stuff like that. So my amusement faded at that point. For those unfamiliar, and especially for those content creators praising Oracle for the absurdity that they posted, let's talk about Oracle. Oracle is not some savior of open source. Oracle is the same company that purchased Sun Microsystems, in turn taking control of OpenOffice, to which they proceeded to defund OpenOffice and eventually kill the project and fire the developers. Go open source, Oracle, right? Maybe that's not enough for an example. How about when Oracle sued Google for years over Google's use of Java-related APIs for Android? Now, Google isn't exactly innocent in this, in my opinion, but this was a problem because they sued Google without any consideration as to what the consequences would be. In my opinion, they cared only about the money. If Oracle had won, they would have effectively destroyed modern programming. I know that that sounds like a strong statement, but they would have made a precedent that APIs, by default, are proprietary. And considering practically everything uses API these days, in some way or another, this would have been catastrophic to the programming market marketplace just everywhere. And I covered this topic in much more detail while it was happening years ago on episode 120 and 146 of Twill. So check those out if you want more details on this particular situation. But all of this is to say, let's not pretend Oracle even remotely cares about open source or the philosophy around it. Because in my opinion, based on their track record, they use open source only when it suits them. Otherwise, they couldn't care less about it. However you feel about Red Hat, I'm not trying to change your mind. But I couldn't sit by and watch people praise Oracle for making absurd claims while their actions over the years show the opposite. In my previous coverage, I didn't call out any of the clones. But now that Oracle has gone on the attack with their absurd claims, I think it's appropriate for me to share my opinion about those claims being absurd. If you'd like more information about this topic, there will be links in the show notes, and also be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux where we go in-depth on the plans from Alma Linux and what it means for enterprise Linux. 
The Linux Mint team have released the latest version of Linux Mint with 21.2. This, this version of Linux Mint is based on 22.04 Ubuntu LTS and has the Linux kernel 5.15. The biggest change with this latest release of Linux Mint is the Cinnamon desktop update. And there's also some really cool changes we're gonna talk about there. So let's, let's discuss the highlights of this latest release. The biggest new feature is probably the new gesture support inside of Cinnamon. Linux Mint 21.2 introduces gestures on touchpads, touchscreens, and tablets. Users can now utilize gestures for tasks like window management, workspace management, tiling, and media controls. And another cool feature is the support for XDG Desktop Portal, which improves the compatibility for Flatpak apps, which is fantastic to see. Linux Mint 21.2 introduces a new visual concept called Styles, to enhance the aesthetics of the desktop environment. Each style has three modes, mixed, dark, and light, and comes with a, the accent colors feature as well. Tooltips have been redesigned to include those accent colors and have a larger, rounder appearance in, with increased margins. Notifications have also been up updated to adopt the accent color feature as well, and Nemo, the default file manager for Linux Mint, receives a performance boost with support for multi-threaded thumbnails. This enhancement reduces CPU resource consumption by generating multiple thumbnails in parallel instead of sequentially, resulting in faster folder loading times, particularly for large directories. The menu applet has also been redesigned to allow you to have a resizing effect just by using your mouse pointer. All of this and much more, so check out the show notes where you'll find links to learn more about Linux Mint 21.2. There is a brand new version of BlendOS that was released recently, and this is a very cool distro. In fact, I've been running BlendOS 3 since it was released, and if you want an in-depth look from me, then check out episode 332 of Destination Linux, where we discuss our experience with BlendOS 3. For those unfamiliar, BlendOS is an immutable Linux distribution based on Arch Linux, with the goal to blend the value of many distros into one. And it does it very well. So. Let's talk about what's in BlendOS 3. So in BlendOS 3, you have the ability to run apps from other Linux distros inside containers, such as apps from Ubuntu, Arch Linux, Fedora, Kali, Alma Linux, Crystal Linux, Debian, and more. BlendOS 3 doesn't stop there. BlendOS also lets you easily switch between seven desktop environments, including KDE Plasma, GNOME, LXQt, Cinnamon, and more. And that process is as simple as running a single command in your terminal. Now, BlendOS 3 is very cool, and they also added support for the Nix package manager. And on top of that, it adds a new auto-detecting feature for when you work with various distro package files. For example, if you have a container for Ubuntu and another container for Fedora, you can simply double-click on a deb or double-click on an RPM package, and BlendOS will prompt the install to use the corresponding container automatically. So if you double click a deb, it will open the Ubuntu container, double click an RPM, it opens the Fedora container. Fantastic. And if you'd like to learn more about BlendOS 3, check out Destination Linux 332. And also my DL cohort, Ryan released an in-depth BlendOS review on his DOS Geek YouTube channel. Links to all of this in the show notes. Back on episode 223 of Twill, we talked about the return of Solus and that they were planning to rebase on Serpent OS. That's not what this topic is about. This topic is about Solus 4.4, which is an incremental update to the current version of Solus. This is great because Solus users have been in a state of limbo for a long time. 
And this shows they are doing a parallel development on both the current version of Solus and the future Solus, which is fantastic. So what's new in Solus 4.4? Well, it's powered by the Linux 6.3 kernel, so it has upgraded hardware support, which includes support for Secure Boot, Intel Arc GPUs, and more. It also includes ZRAM enabled by default to help users with computers that have three gigabytes of RAM or less. Budgie 10.7 is also included in this release. Many improvements to the Budgie desktop included in this version with updates to the Budgie menu, session manager, and much more. You can check out Twill 218 for more details on Budgie 10.7 as we covered it when it was released. Now, Solus 4.4 also makes some big changes to their Plasma Edition, including now using Wayland by default. If you'd like to learn more about Solus and Solus 4.4 specifically, you can find the links in the show notes. The Thunderbird team have released a new version of this open source email client, and this is a very big, very long awaited update. The biggest change here, and something I've been looking for for a long time, is design tweaks. They have redesigned the UI and UX of this application to modernize this fantastic email client. Now, I'm a big fan of this. I'm very happy they've done this. It's always been a good email client. I've used it for many years, but it has been lacking in design and some modern features for a very long time. So it's really good to see them doing some upgrades to the look and feel of Thunderbird. And I can't wait for the future updates where they add some more modern functionality to this client. Now, Thunderbird 115 did this by adding a new unified top toolbar. They redesigned the icons of the application and they also made it easier to switch between density. So if you like a more compact mode for your applications or you wanna have more room for the various elements, you can easily and quickly switch through the hamburger menu. Now, the application menu is now keyboard accessible and redesigned for faster, easier navigation. I prefer keyboard navigation in general, so I'm really happy to see that they've done this. They've also redesigned the message list to use a cards view. They've also enhanced the address book, improved accessibility, and improved the design for the calendar and much, much more. Now, some of this stuff is kind of odd because I used a fresh computer with a fresh install of Thunderbird and it didn't have some of the stuff by default. You had to activate the cards view, you had to activate the vertical layout to make it look more modern, and that was just kind of odd. So I would recommend that the next release, they make those new changes to be the default changes that people see when they install it. Now, if you already have Thunderbird installed, I get why you wouldn't wanna change that on an upgrade, but I tested it on an upgrade and on a fresh install, and it's still same way either way. So just a quick note there. I am very excited for the future of Thunderbird because this redesign has been needed for a long time. And I'm also happy to see it finally happening as well as the work that they've already announced in their roadmap. Now, Thunderbird needs to add some more modern email features as well to regain the crown of desktop email clients that it once had. But I think they are on a great path right now, but there's still quite a few things missing. I really like the redesign, but we need to get some threaded conversations in there, please. And for those who are not familiar with what that term means, just because you have all your replies in a group in like a thread that seems like it, that's not what a threaded conversation is. It all, a threaded conversation also includes all of your emails too at the same time, so you can quickly reference theirs and yours at any point, as well as some other features. Now, there is a plugin for this inside of Thunderbird, but I would like to see this built in, so that's why I'm mentioning it here. But with that said, 
Thunderbird 115 Supernova is a fantastic update that I'm glad to see. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks. For example, you can get access to the patron-only section of our Discord server and much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Saver t-shirt and the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing right now at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, and tons of other stuff at tuxdigital.com store. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I'll see you next time for another episode of your source for Linux. Good news.